Hey, welcome to Sunday School. I'm glad you're here. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. You're listening to the Mills Sunday School Podcast. We are the College and 20-somethings ministry of New Life Church. After you're done greeting and meeting, would you please turn to this passage of Scripture? And I'll give you a second to get there. There's Bibles on your table. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Some of you might have this memorized. Anybody have memorized 1 Corinthians 13? Don't worry, I won't have you come up. I'm just curious, like three or four of you. It's a very popular passage. It's a very popular passage to memorize, and you should. It's, it's wonderful. It talks about agape. Agape, that word is used 10 times in this short little chapter. So 1 Corinthians, so it's after the Gospels, after Romans, you get to Corinthians. Turn to chapter 13, and this is the passage that your grandma probably has knitted somewhere in her house. It says this, 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have agape, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. That's not good. If I have the gift of prophecy, that's really good, and I I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, that would be awesome. And if I have faith that can move mountains, so you say to this mountain, move, and it moves, like that's what Jesus said, a faith like a mustard seed would be able to do. If you have that kind of faith, but you do not have agape, I am nothing. Verse 3, if I give all I have, all I possess to the poor, that's a great thing to do. And if I give my body over to hardships, we'll talk about what that could mean in, in a little while, that I may boast. And I do not have agape, I gain nothing. Verse 4 says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Verse 8 says, love never fails, but there, where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when the completion comes... What is in part will disappear. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away the childish things behind me. For now we see only in a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. We'll talk about what that could mean in a little while as well. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And then the last verse, verse 13. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest among these is is love. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you that you have created us in love, and Son, that you came and died for us because of your great love for us. You died on the cross, and Holy Spirit, you are in us now, showing us how to love and, and allowing us to reflect this love that is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit out into the world with each other and making you known. So we worship you, Lord. We, we come before you um, as your servants humbly and say that there's nothing we can bring to you, but it's only that which you put inside of us that we can show your glory to this world. We love you. We praise you, Lord. And everybody said, amen. So uh, I, I was on a bus ride a long time ago. This high school, I was in high school, and it was a 24-hour bus ride uh, <laughs> to get to this week long uh, Christian retreat. 
And it was actually really fun. As a high schooler, you could put up with 24-hour bus rides. Uh, now the, the thought of a 24-hour bus ride would be horrible. Um, but back then, it was like awesome. We could to sit on a bus and talk to each other for 24 hours. And there was these girls, three girls in the two seats in front of me that were talking the whole time, like 24 hours, about love at first sight, like if that happens. Uh, so that's why I put the, that, that crazy picture uh, on, your, on your notes of an eyeball with a, with a pupil that looks like a heart. That's supposed to symbolize love at first sight, and, um, which I guess you can actually get those contacts that have those kind of pupils, which is pretty cool. So you, you guys should do that. Uh, maybe not guys. The girls should do that. Um, Anyways, these three girls, one of them was talking, they were all Christians and coming from a Christian background, one of them was talking about how they believe in love at first sight, because they just saw someone and they, on the bus, and they fell in love with this person, and it was like teenage girl crushing on this guy, and they're like, I know we're supposed to be together, and God is, I think, orchestrating this, and I think, I, I believe in love at first sight, and one of the other girls was saying, like, no, that's lust at first sight. So it was really just them kind of going after each other. And then this third girl was kind of throwing in wisdom about, like, well, God's love is this, and God thinks this about love and our relationships. And these three girls on these two seats were just talking for 24 hours and came to no conclusion whatsoever, which is an amazing gift that girls have to, to be able to, to do that. I mean, I, I meant that in a good way. Like, guys, we want, like, answers. Like, well, okay, well, let's come to a conclusion. Let's decide Whereas girls, in a wonderful way, can just talk and be okay with that and get to know each other. I meant that in a good way, not in a... you got to be the peanut gallery. Jeez. Anyways, um, so that's the question I'm going to ask you in a few minutes. Like, what do you think about love at first sight? So be ready for that. But welcome to the Mill Sunday School. We're glad that you're here. If, if on your table there's a card that looks like this and you're new or newish, if you came a couple times now but you never filled out this card... You can fill it out, bring it uh, to, the, to the back as you leave. There's gift baggies out there. Our senior pastor wrote a book. We'll, we'll give you that. And I will personally email you or call you. That's one of my things that I, that I do throughout the week to help you engage in the college and 20-somethings ministry at New Life. And also, probably the, one of the last times we'll announce this is that this summer we are going to Macedonia on a mission trip. What, what? So uh, some of you are going. There's, there's a small group of you going. And it's the end of uh, May, beginning of June, and it's the cheapest mission trip that New Life is doing this year. Uh, the least expensive, I shouldn't say cheapest, because we're going to uh, experience a lot of things in this country that is uh, right on the verge of Europe and the, and the Middle East, and it's a country that kind of stands in that balance of what's going to happen to Europe. Is uh, Islam going to continue spreading? Is Christianity going to get a foothold again, and, and we are going to go over there and work with local missionaries and local churches that we are already partnered with. So if you're interested, go to the website. There's more information there. There's contact info. So that's that, but we, as I imagine now we're, we're, the team has already met a couple times, and, but I wanted to announce it one last time. So let's get started. Um, going back to the love topic that we have been on for the last four weeks, we've said that there are four different types of love that the Greeks used to use, storge, eros, phileo, uh, or phileia, and agape. And these should be giving you, if you've been around for the last couple of weeks, some vocabulary as we talk about what is love. And so that question that I want to pose to you, you can think about and use vocabulary such as these words, if you've been around the last couple of weeks, of, okay, does love at first sight exist? Put up the creepy eyeball again for you, um, staring you all down with a heart-shaped pupil. Um, 
the movies tell us that, of course, there is love at first sight. Lloyd falls in love with Mary, first sight in Dumb and Dumber, right? Uh, Aladdin falls in love with Jasmine the moment he sees her at the, what is it, like the marketplace. Uh, Noah falls in love with Allie the moment he sees her in the notebook. Jack falls in love with Rose the first moment he sees her in the Titanic. And so all these movies and kind of our society talks about, oh, you will know when it's real. You will know when it really is love. You will experience this love at first sight. But going back and thinking through what we've talked about, well, how can we talk about that with some of the vocabulary that we have been uh, learning? Storge, phileo, agape, and arrow. So your discussion question is this, and try to take a stand uh, and, 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 and fulfill that stand. So your discussion question is, do you believe in love at first sight? Kind of yes or no, and try not to pick the middle ground. Say yes or no, and then go at it as a table and, and use terms like, oh, eros and agape and well, Christ's love for us. And okay, well, how does that apply to romantic love? So I'm kind of loosely defining it for you to, to get you uh, interacting and arguing. Maybe discussing is probably a better word. So would you discuss that? Ready, get set, discuss. Check, check. Oh, we got it. Okay. Uh, I would love to hear some of your thoughts. I just visited one table and there was various thoughts about, okay, how are we defining love? And then yes or no, whether love at first sight can be a thing. Are we talking this kind of love or that kind of love? So would anyone like to start us off? Sasha was the person I was talking to. She has a wonderful thought about storge. So we were talking about storge and how it's more of a parental parental love. love. And it's when you have, I don't have kids, but I can imagine when you have kids, when you, the first time you see them, it is love at first sight, whether you know girl or boy, whether you were expecting, you know, to have a baby, no matter what that moment was before the moment you see that baby, you're in love love with it. So the love at first sight, that's a parental type of love. Miss Taylor Brooke, you have something? Wait, do you want to share? Let me run back. She has a little baby. Oh. I was trying to think, I initially thought, absolutely not. And then I was trying to think of a circumstance, and I thought about when our little Your baby, baby yeah. was born. But really, it wasn't love at first sight, because the love had started to grow, like, when we first found out that we were pregnant. Yeah. So, I still Yeah, know. that's good. Anybody else? Anybody want to tap into the romantic love, love at first sight question, like the movies? <laughs> you want to? Or something else? Okay. <laughs> Love at first sight. Um, we were talking about a little bit at our table that it's not necessarily love at first sight, but probably attraction at first sight. Lust at first sight? No. Did you say that? No, I really want to say there can be sometimes. I, I would say potentially there could be lust at first sight. Sure. That is true. But I think there could truly be an honest attraction at first sight. My parents' story is they got engaged eight days after they met. Eight days, and they're still together. But they waited three years to get married, and now Probably 37 was. years later, they are still married. So... They got engaged eight days later. They did. So then some great eight days. <laughs> it was at a junior high camp. They were they, they were, were leaders. Okay, they were they leaders at like, junior high. No, they junior were junior high. <laughs> no. They were the leaders. <laughs> yes. Okay. So I think right. I think um, every story is different. I think that attraction at first sight can play into it. Yeah. But I don't think it is love. Because we're talking about love is definitely something that has to grow. And as you get to know each other deeper in the romantic sense, yeah. that there is an element of that. I don't know. Yeah. So that's no, kind that's of what good. we're, some thoughts that we yeah. were talking about. So um, I, I had, the thought I had was exactly what Sasha shared and then Taylor Brooks shared of like, okay, if we are defining love 
in these different Greek words, which is kind of the, the, the premise of this whole sermon series, then it's like, okay, let's move away from the eros love. Like in English, we just have the word love, and we could mean romantic love. We could mean a God loving us, which is a different type of love. We can just say things like, oh, I love this plant. And it's a very different type of love than I love my wife um, or God loves us, obviously. And so culture, society, our society specifically, because of movies and uh, wonderful things that, that show these people falling in love. Like to us as Americans, I would just say our society, the American society, is that romantic love, this feeling of falling in love, is the greatest type of love. And so no wonder people um, get married and have this sense of falling in love and have these wonderful times dating and have these wonderful times getting engaged and then getting married. And it's all about this Eros love. If you go to uh, two people's wedding, uh, if you go to their wedding and you listen, if they're not Christians, you'll just hear this again and again, oh, the, the idea of love or this feeling of love that these two have for each other. That's the greatest thing in the world. And as Christians, we would say, well, the greatest type of love is God's love towards us. And this greater love than this Eros romantic love is this unconditional, this charity love. And so I was looking at, um, as many of you know, divorce rates in our country are pretty horrible. Somewhere uh, 50% or maybe a little more than 50% of all marriages will end in divorce. And I was looking at stats and like, okay, how long does the average marriage last? If uh, Of those marriages that end in divorce, what's the average marriage life expectancy of those marriages? And it's somewhere around, does anybody know? Somewhere around seven or eight years is how long the average marriage lasts that ends in divorce. So some marriages obviously don't end in divorce, and those aren't included in the stat. But those that end in divorce, eight years, seven or eight years is about the average, which makes a little bit of sense in my mind that it's, oh, it's that, that romantic feeling of falling in love, this Eros type of love that is so wonderful, and this, this, this feelings that make your heart palpitate. Is that the word, right word? That sounds wrong. Anyways, um, it makes your heart flutter. And, oh, those feelings can last for a long time, maybe seven years, eight years. And then once those feelings have faded, well, then what's left? And if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, well, then what are you relying upon to, as a foundation of your marriage if it's not a love that God has for us and that we can share with each other, this unconditional love, this love that is not self-seeking, this love that isn't a feeling. So today we're going to talk about God's love and getting into this question of God's love for us. We begin to tap into the other deeper, more important types of love uh, to God and the things of God are concerned like storge and phileo and of course today agape. But Sasha and then Taylor Brooke had it right. I think that, that you can fall in love at first sight if it's a deeper love than this attraction type of love like a, like a parent has for their kid. And so Eric and I are expecting this month a uh, little baby. Have we told you what we're going to name him yet? It's little Maximus is what we're going to name him. And uh, we really like that name. And it has to do with Erica's grandma's name, who's Maxine. And so we're going to name him Maximus Mark. And we already love Maximus Mark. He's not even here. We haven't even seen him yet. Uh, and if, if, by the way, I'm not here next week, I plan to be here, but if I'm not here, I have a, a guest speaker uh, lined up. We will probably be at the hospital or having just had Maximus Mark. But we already love him. 
As parents, we are already thinking about him. We are already planning things for him. We are already thinking about, oh, what's it going to be like when we could do this with him and that with him and just hold him. We love this little kid. And speaking of Maximus, the the quote on the back of your notes today, uh, I had one, is a quote by Maximus the Confessor, uh, a person that lived, a, a strong Christian that lived in the fourth century. And he has a book called 400 Texts on Love. And so he's compiled these these sayings on love. He wrote many of them himself. And the very first one is the quote on the back of your notes that says, love is a holy state of the soul, disposing it to value knowledge of God above all created things. And he says this, we cannot obtain lasting possession of such love while we are still attached to anything worldly. The gist of this idea is that the agape love of God is so unlike our world. Our world might say like, oh, the highest form of love is, is like the Titanic, falling, falling in love at first sight and then um, going down in a ship together. Like that's the highest form of love we can talk about and think about is like romanticize the idea of falling in love. And Maximus says, no, we need to leave behind our worldly understandings. In fact, everything that is worldly, we need to lay that aside to even begin to grasp what God's love is for us. This Greek word, agape. So I want to give you back uh, a discussion question that isn't as uh, maybe at your table you're mad at each other because some of you believe in love at first sight and some of you don't. So this this question is easy and maybe just kind of um, chiming in together on one page literally so you could maybe assign someone to be a scribe and so you write down some of our thoughts here. But your discussion question is this. If we're talking about agape, many of you already know this word. Many of you know that you've read 1 Corinthians 13. Many of you know that that the way in which God loves us is higher than anything we can do on this earth as far as love goes. So your question is, uh, what does this highest form of love look like? What does agape look like? So would you discuss that at your tables and maybe write some things down? Ready, get set, discuss. All right, um, maybe just yell out some things. I don't have the mic, but... Um, yell out some things that go along with this best kind of love, the highest form of love. Selflessness. Here we go over here. Unconditional. You, you, may, you may not be able to give. Okay. Yeah, so you can't give love like God gives it. But you can receive it, and you can maybe reflect some things that are like agape. What else? Anybody over here? You what? Say it again. Oh, we love because he first loved us. We can even know what this is beginning to say. Spencer back there, he said, love is sometimes a hard love, like a disciplinary love. And I I said, yeah, like I love my two boys but sometimes they're rascals, and I need to discipline them. And of course, I still love them, and I discipline them because I love them. And that's maybe a part of agape, too, like loving someone enough to tell them bad news, loving someone enough to, to discipline them. There's a lot of verses about agape. I have a list of, I don't know how many here, maybe five or six, which I will read, and I will try to use the word agape instead of the word love, because these verses have that word agape in the Greek in our New Testament. Romans 5, 8 says this. Many of you maybe even know this verse. But God shows his agape 
for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So like that, if you think about that, and going back to the first question, which you all were fighting about, um, it's like, is this love at first sight? Well, it kind of seems that way. Like God loved us before we were even looking at him. Before we, while we were still sinners, God loved us and called him to himself. John 3.16, you know this one. For God so loved or agaped the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That word there is agape. God so agape the word, the world. First uh, John 4, 8, there is no fear in agape or love, but perfect agape drives out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Or Romans 8, 38, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love or agape that the Father has for, that the agape of God that Christ, Jesus Christ our Lord has for us. Uh, John thirteen thirty five. by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you agape or love one another. All these passages Throughout the New Testament, whenever it's using agape, it's like, oh, this wonderful higher love. And nothing in our New Testament compares us for this definition of love other than the passage of 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 13, the whole chapter. Paul writes to the Corinthians and really defines this word agape. This is the passage that your grandma has knitted in her house somewhere, probably in the bathroom for you to look at when you go to your grandma's house. It's knitted. I just imagine it there, and you're looking at it, and it's like, oh, love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, it does not boast. And you read this, and you think about higher things, things of love and the things of God. So one last discussion question for you. Hopefully uh, you have already turned to this passage when we read it in the beginning, but turn to this passage again. And what I want you to do at your table is, is to discuss this, read and discuss 1 Corinthians 13. And so you, you probably, I'm probably just going to give you like five minutes to do this. So uh, let's break the room up. If you're on the left side of the room, verses one through three, those three verses, if you're in the middle of the room, I'll kind of let you decide. Uh, try to concentrate on verses four through seven. And if you're on the right side of the room, would you concentrate on the last bit of this passage? And just what the question I want you to ask is just what stands out to you? It's like, oh, I've read this passage a million times. But this stood out in my reading, or this has stood out throughout my life of the agape love being the most powerful type of love. So, read and discuss. Ready, cassette? Discuss. All right, if you could wrap up your discussions. I have um, basically these words, maybe, maybe these words, if these words came up at your table, you would be a genius table um, to do this. Um, but hermeneutics and exegesis, these are big words for probably what you just did in some senses. You, hermeneutics is what the Bible is uh, meaning here. Exegesis is what the Bible is saying here. So if you read this passage, you're like, oh, this word is this. And like, oh, this passage, uh, it probably means this for today. Well, then maybe without knowing it, you're doing something very theologically sound by doing exegesis and hermeneutics, these two powerful words here. And so let's do some of that uh, kind of together as we go through this passage here is a painting of Paul, maybe what Paul could have looked like according to this artist's representation, holding a Bible, uh, very serious looking. And Paul 
in this 1 Corinthians passage is defining agape in such a way that he's like, this is the model for what love should be like. This is the greatest love. And he, he will go on to say that. And Paul is really defining love, defining agape for us. Before Paul does this in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, Homer used the word in like, when did Homer live? Not Simpson, the other guy. Um, <laughs> he lived in like 800-ish B.C., uh, Aristotle and 300 BC were using the word agape, and there was a lot of overlapping with agape and phileo and storge, and eros was always kind of on its own, the romantic type of love. But there's these overlapping ideas and themes with agape, eros, storge, and phileo. And um, so how did, like, when did the, like, the strongest definition come about to really define agape as we know it? Well, in some ways, Paul did it for us. This passage, 1 Corinthians 13, Paul defines agape in such a way that the early church then takes this agape word and says, oh, this is the type of love that we need to love each other with, the type of love that God loves us with. So Paul's defining this love. And how he defines it is with the use of this uh, rhetoric, this, um, this type of poem that speaks very highly of something. So rhetoric in the, in the ancient Greek world, this is a picture of someone talking and people listening. This would be a common picture in the Greek world, supposedly, of someone giving a speech, rhetorically using devices like a rhetorical question. That's where we get that idea. Or using, um, it's called a chiastic argument when you like start with A, B, and C, and then you go C or A, B, C, C, B, A. So what you begin with, you end with, which is exactly what happens in this passage. If you look at it, Paul talks about tongues prophecy and uh, wisdom. And then at the end of this passage, Paul talks about tongues, prophecy, and wisdom. Very interesting. He uses rhetoric. And what you would do if you were um, had a lot of money and you just got elected back in the ancient Greek world, you would hire a rhetorician to come give a speech talking about how great you were. And it's called, an, I think I'm pronouncing it right, an enconium. This type of speech that gives great honor to a person, a place, a thing, uh, a, an idea. And so Paul is using this device, this enconium device, to talk and to define love for us as Christians. And I thought, do we have anything like that in our world today in 2015? And I thought, oh, we, we do. It's at weddings oftentimes. The best man or the best girl, the matron of honor or the maid of honor, will give a speech for you when you get married. And hopefully that speech will be very pleasing and wonderful. They'll say, everybody hold your glasses up. Jim, Janet, I knew you guys back in the sandbox, and we've been friends, and here this day has finally arrived, right? That's what they say. And they'll say, oh, you guys are great for each other, and the love between you guys, it's so wonderful. And everybody raise your glasses to Jim and Janet, to Jim and Janet, ding. And then, and then it's like, oh, that's a kind of modern-day example of a speech given, an enconium-type speech, a rhetoric given uh, to give great honor to the couple at the wedding. And here Paul is using that kind of retor rhetorical language to give a speech about love. And by the way, just a side note, if you're ever the best man or the maid or matron of honor, um, make sure your speech is honoring to the couple. 
I go to some weddings, and it's like they have this opportunity to just kind of throw the couple under the bus. It's like, remember that one time we all had too much to drink and blah, blah, blah? And, like, grandmas are turning bright red. And it's like, TMI, don't do that. Give honor to the couple, to God, and to the love that is between them. So just free advice for you. Anyways, um, here's the word in case you want to get the tattoo later today of the word agape because that's what you guys like to do. You get tattooed. This is the Greek word agape. In the Greek language, this is how you would write it. And Paul, as I said before, I'm saying this again, Paul defines this word for us, for the early church. Last week, I kind of tricked you. Do you remember that? When I was like, oh, do you think phileo and agape, which one is being used here? And they were all phileo. And it was like, oh, well, I thought agape was God's love and phileo is friendship love. Well, before Paul defines it for us as the church, there was a lot of overlap between friendship love and parental love and agape love. And Paul sets aside this word and gives a great speech about it and says that even if you can speak in the tongues of angels and have prophecy, and even if you have wisdom, can fathom all ministries, it's nothing without agape. Then he says in verse, uh, is it verse three, even if I give my body, depending on how your translation words it, give my body to hardship or give my body to the flames. Does anybody's version say that? Give your body to the flames. Um, that's probably uh, a reference to literally dying for the cause of Christianity, giving your body to be a martyr. So here's a picture, a horrible picture in our church history of uh, Nero putting Christians up on these poles, covering them in some sort of tar and then lighting them on fire and watching them die. It's a horrible thing that really did happen in the early church, martyrs. And it's, it's happening right now. This martyrdom is happening, maybe not like this, but in some way, Christians are being killed today. And even if you were to give your body up for the cause of Christ, you would be nothing without love. And then Paul goes on to say, here's what love is, and here's what love is not. Here's a picture of uh, Corinth ancient Corinth, at least the ruins. Um, the picture was taken of uh, some, some ruins there. And then in the background is a mountain, the Acro-Corinth. And on top of that mountain, at the time Paul was writing, there was a temple to Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And in that temple were hundreds, if not thousands, depending on uh, who you reference for your historical knowledge, uh, either hundreds or thousands of temple prostitutes up there ready to I guess, worship the God of Aphrodite with the person going up there to worship this God. I mean, think about the horrible things like in our societies, like, oh, our society is so sexualized. But at least on the top of Mount Hermon is not a temple with a thousand prostitutes, uh, as bad as our society is. Um, and to think about this, to the term, like if you were in the ancient world, the, the term Corinthian girl meant to be a prostitute. So I don't, like, in if, imagine if you're like in Alabama or something and people were talking about Colorado Springs girls and the term a Colorado Springs girl meant prostitute. Well, what would be happening here it would be so bad that we would, you know, we would be known for prostitution. It's just horrible society. Paul is writing to this, this basically like a sailor's port of a city where prostitution and, and sexuality was so rampant. And he, and he says this, he says, Love is not like that. It's not like the Aphrodite temples. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. 
It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It keeps no record of wrong, and it always protects, always trusts, always hopes. It's not like this lust scene that happens on the top of uh, the the Corinth, this mountain, but it is patient, and love is kind. And then he gets on to talking about how um, that we live in this time now, and we live, and we what we know is like looking through a mirror dimly. Like if you've ever seen a mirror that's dim for whatever reason, you're like looking through it, and you're like, oh, that's that, that image just isn't right. And But we see as through it a mirror dimly. But then, I think Paul's talking about the then being that at the resurrection, when Christ comes and Christ returns, and the heavens are released, and we are in heaven, so to speak, that then the truth will come, and then we will see as we are seen, is what Paul says. And he says that we will see God face to face. We will know Him face to face. Just like He has known us, we will know Him. And this idea has to be referring back to uh, this person in the Old Testament that saw God face to face. That the, the Greek word is, is this, if you want to get this tattooed later. Uh, prosopone, pros, prosopone, face to face. Moses spoke to God face to face, and then Moses' face would shine, something like this, like this artist's representation, that Moses and God spoke to each other like friends, and someday, even what Moses had, we will have something greater. We will be able to know God as we are fully known, and there won't be a need for speaking in tongues because God is right there. There won't be a need for knowledge because we'll just ask God. There won't be a need for prophesying future things because God will be right there, and we will know the future. We will know just as we are truly known. And in all that is love. And there's faith, hope, and love. But the greatest among these is love. And so when we consider God's love, when we consider the cross and the gifts of the Holy Spirit and what love is, um, we can consider that it's the highest thing, the best thing we can know in this world is the love of God. And then to be able to reflect that. True love is this, that, that someone... Christ laid down his life for his friends. We, we learned about that love last week. But even more so, that, that we could somehow experience this love of God, and then, then we can reflect that. I remember being in, um, in different charismatic circles. There's, uh, and when, we, when I say that, I, I mean like, uh, like churches like New Life that emphasize the gifts of the Holy Spirit being for today, whether they're gift of tongues or the gift of prophecy, the gift of healing, so on and so forth. In some circles, if you're around them enough, there's like a high or like a priority to like, oh, these better gifts. Like, oh, you have the gift of tongues. That's great. But I once prophesied or I have this gift of prophecy or I have this gift of wisdom and I'm better than you as a Christian. That's never said like that. But sometimes you may feel like, oh, well, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm nobody because I don't even speak in tongues. And that's the least of the gifts, as Paul says. And then I, I was at a church one time where someone didn't speak in tongues and there was like this argument going on. And they said, well, the tongues is the least of the gifts, so you should at least have that one. And it was kind of like the slam to this person that was like, come on. Um, but Paul says those gifts are nothing if you don't have love. If you can have all wisdom and all prophecy, you can prophesy everything and fathom all wisdom, you're nothing if you don't have the gift of agape, the gift of love. So that's what we should um, reflect God with, love, not, not these gifts to show off. So to conclude here, the love of God, and this, this, by the way, will conclude this series. Next week, we'll begin a series on the resurrection in preparation for Resurrection Sunday. But I remember as a, as a high schooler, 
first learning about the love of God, that God could love me. And I remember thinking like, oh, well, well God loves good people, but I, I knew that I wasn't very good. Like I, I would have arguments with my mom and fights with my brother. And I, as a high schooler, uh, struggled with what a lot of high schoolers struggle with is like self-worth and, and self-doubt. And it's like, oh, I'm, I'm nobody. I'm shy. Um, I just, I'm sorry for being around. It was like self-worth issues in my own life. And this preacher preached a message at this retreat that was just, God loves you. He loves you a whole bunch. And he talked for an hour about how much God loves us. And it was really hard for me to get. because I got the idea of like, oh, God loves people and God loves the people that are really good, but God doesn't love me like that. And beginning to even get a glimpse of that, that Jesus died for me, was just a life-changing. It was, I was in 10th grade, ended up giving my life to the Lord after that moment of this person preaching about the love of God and how we can come to God with nothing. We're sinners. We can come to God with nothing. But while we were still sinners, God loves us. And this verse I want to end with, 1 John 4, 8, says that God is love. God is love. And how can we even begin to understand how much God loves us? He does. Like the song, how, Oh, How He Loves Us. He loves us in such a way that he came and died for us. He didn't have to come even into this world, and yet he did, and he died for us, and we can experience that love. And with that love inside of us, we can love each other. So let's pray this morning as we conclude. We come before you, Lord, as humble servants, maybe even just wretched people on our own. On our own, we are sinners. On our own, we are, there's nothing we can do that would please you. But Lord, you are pleased by us. While we were still sinners, you agaped us. You loved us with this unconditional love. And so, Lord, we, we first say thank you. We praise you. We love you that you have first loved us. And Lord, with this love, we, we want to go out and we want to share it with others. We want to be the people you've called us to be. We want to have this gift of love and grow in this gift of love. So, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we worship you. We praise you. We thank you for this gift of love. You are so good to us. We know it and we receive it. And everybody said, amen. All right, friends. See you next week. Go in peace. I love you guys. We hope you've been spiritually encouraged by listening to this podcast. More podcasts and information about the college and 20-somethings ministry at New Life Church in Colorado Springs can be found at newlifechurch.org forward slash Sunday School.